0: Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown podcast has all of that and it's Chicago based. So you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Justin Kaufman and this is Reset.
0: Concern that continues this morning for parents and students over school reopening plans. We are evaluating a hybrid model. Such a model will combine learning from home and learning at school. Illinois' top public health official says it might not be safe for schools to reopen if the state can't stem current increases in coronavirus
2: cases. Governor J.B. Pritzker filing a new lawsuit aimed at enforcing a face mask mandate when schools reopen. Scientists and doctors and researchers
0: learn new things about this novel virus every day. That fact should humble us.
1: Yep, we got those stories and more coming up in our Friday News Roundup. Joining me this week on the Roundup, WTTW Chicago politics reporter Heather Sharon, Heather, welcome back. Happy to be here, Justin. Also with us, Chicago Sun-Times editorial writer, author, and photographer Lee Bay. Good to talk to you, Lee. Good to talk to you, too. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. All right, so well, let's just dive right in to the uh, public schools announcement uh, we just talked about here on Reset uh, What a a story, the idea that we're going to go to a hybrid model. Heather, your reaction first.
0: Well, I think um, the mayor is trying to walk a very difficult path here. There's no doubt that there were students that could not remote learning work for them in the spring. And this is really designed to offer them a way to get back in school and sort of maybe catch up on where they've fallen behind and move forward a little bit. But, you know, there are serious questions about whether Chicago is at a point in the pandemic where it's safe to send students back to school and whether it will trigger another wave of outbreaks that could potentially put teachers – staff, and then, of course, the students themselves and their families at risk. So like everything else in this pandemic, there is no easy answer here. Uh, this, I think, is Mayor Lightfoot's answer, at least for right now.
1: Yeah, and, it's, and Lee, they said it's going to take a month or so for all the conversations to happen, and feedback, and we won't know really till the end of August on, on the, the definitive plan. There's going to be some friction with Chicago Teachers Union.
2: Oh no, no doubt. I mean, you can see elements of it already on their uh, on their Twitter feed, uh, where they're you know raising questions about you know whether the teachers themselves are at risk of becoming the vector that spreads this thing around. And um, you know they wanted, of course, to have a remote learning you know to continue into the fall. And I can understand that. I mean, there's so much we don't know about this and how it spreads. And uh, and then we also don't know where we're going to be in a month from now. You know. You know, so it's, it's so we're all sort of feeling our way in the dark. In the sense.
1: Now, Heather, I'll say that I, I do like the fact that it's a bold plan. It's different than what other cities have done around the country. Uh, CTU was asking for uh, or was demanding a remote only, which they're doing in L.A. and San Diego and other school districts. I mean, it's bold. It's 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 thought out. There's going to be a lot of questions still in the next month, but it's it's at least fresh.
0: That's right. And I think, you know, if uh, I cast my memory all the way back to mid-March, Um, which, of course, I barely remember. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot was very reluctant to close schools at the start of this pandemic. You know, when schools close, um, uh, you know, there are a significant number of children in Chicago who don't get enough to eat, who don't have somewhere safe to go, and who are at risk for any number of different things. And um, it was only after Governor Pritzker closed the schools that Mayor Lightfoot, you know, got on board with it. So this this, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who's been watching how Mayor Lightfoot has handled the issues of schools. But, um, you know, I think that we, you know, we heard her say that, you know, this is our best plan for right now. But I think it's important to note that cases have been rising. They've been rising for about the last week or so. And we heard the mayor earlier this week warn people that if they didn't start wearing masks all the time and start, you know, keep that social distancing, uh, the city could really be, quote, on a precipice of seeing, uh, you know, I don't want to say a second wave, but a really, really scary increase in the number of infections of coronavirus. And that, I think, could force the school district to go to a purely remote learning uh, model.
1: That's going to be the issue at some point when when we have an uptick or an outbreak and what the school districts around the state, not just in Chicago, do. Lee, the the problem I have at the end of the day, and I think a lot of parents are feeling this frustration or Chicagoans, is that the, the politics of old have to kind of go away in the way that we need to figure out how we're going to move forward as a society. And so for CPS to make this decision and and to not have CTU at the table and for CTU to uh, criticize what CPS is doing and, and, and all that kind of stuff, it feels like an old story, and I'm kind of frustrated that we're not thinking differently.
2: Well, that's a good point. I mean, you, in a perfect world, you want to have both sides at the table, and they both come up with a solution on how to do this thing. Unclear whether that could have happened in the time that they've got uh, left to figure this, figure this out. And, you know, and, and, you know there's, there's also other issues of equity and things that are, have to be sort of looked at into, into this thing as well. I mean, you can imagine how tough it must be to do remote learning if you've got young kids who might be, or more or if you're a parent, you've got a couple of young kids. Where do they study? You know, if you have to go back to work, what happens to the kids? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of other moving parts to this. In a perfect world, you want both sides to have figured this out, and there's nothing to prevent them from continuing to hammering you know to work together to kind of hammer out something as time goes on. But at the end of the day, you know, I think uh, you know the 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 buck stops with the mayor. I mean that's that's where people are gonna be looking for, you know for leadership and responsibility, and I can see why she made this choice.
1: I want to make a transition to the mayor this week. She I mean, what a colorful week for her because everything from colorful quotes to cowboys. She, she seemed to uh, have a, a lot on the table, including uh, a clip that I want to play here, Dave. This is the, where she tells the young people to turn the car around.
0: Some of you have joked that I'm like the mom uh, who will tear in the car around when you're acting up. No, friends, it's actually worse. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. <laughs>
1: Uh, Heather, she's uh, I mean, beyond uh, as what I said is she got a colorful quote there that she she went after the Trump uh, sec- press secretary calling her Karen. Uh, she also did a press conference with the cowboy for a census where she wore a cowboy hat. I think that was on Monday or Tuesday. Right. What a week for her. She, I mean, we can we could talk all about how different she is from some of the mayors of the past, but she's starting to get a collection of colorful quotes.
0: Uh, she really is. And, uh, you know, it, it it, she is really leaning into that sort of memification of her, you know, during the early days of the pandemic, you know, when we saw those photoshopped pictures of her looking stern, you know, don't don't go to the beach, you know, don't leave your house. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I think the question is, is, as we're in this new phase of the coronavirus pandemic where, you know, businesses are back open and there's no longer stay at home order. Does leaning into that sort of delightfully strict, as her Twitter bio used to say, sort of um, image, does it it help or does it hurt her as people sort of tire of basically being told what they can and and can't do? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, right. Something I'm
1: watching. Yeah, and Lee, I, I mean, it's it's always going to be a great quote when she uh, pushes back against the White House and and President Trump, and a lot of people will just look at that and say, I like this mayor, and, and not look at other things that are happening that affect the city of Chicago.
2: Yeah, it, it is interesting to kind of watch the back and forth. We've, we've never really seen this, right, because, you know, not much. I mean, maybe there's a little back and forth with Rahm and with the White House, certainly not not with Daley, who had— uh, a solid relationship with the, with, the, with the White House. This is kind of kind of new to us, but the White House does punch Chicago quite a bit. And and you know, she's a transplant, not a not a native, but she walks like a native. And at some point, a Chicagoan will 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 hit back. <laughs> but but, but, I but I guess you know the question is, and again, this pandemic and the social unrest that's happened in the spring and summer have altered our ability to really get a good read on this. Is whether this is ultimately translates to good governance or not i mean this kind of combative nature it can be helpful in a way and the times we're in now when we really need to be told frankly stay home because you're spreading a virus around but then there's softer skills to becoming a in in, in being a mayor yeah right that, that are that that are also needed as well and and that's the key i mean it's it's you know i work for daily for three years and sometimes you got to put the hammer down the mayor's responsible for, for that. But then sometimes, you know, there has to be a soft touch. And we haven't got a chance to see much of that because of the kind of outrageous and kind of outsized times that we're in.
1: Maybe, Heather, it just has to do with the, these outsized times that we're in that there's so much noise in social media that when she does make those strong declarative statements or, or say something that is in, in line with uh, uh, what's happening on social media channels and memes and things like that, that, that it grabs everyone's attention.
0: It certainly does. And I think Lee is entirely right that Chicago is very comfortable with mayors who can give people the business. You know, Rahm Emanuel uh, very much played up his image as the guy who would send a dead fish to a political (laughs) opponent. You know, he leaned into that just as much as Mayor Lightfoot is leaning into the go home or I will send you home, you know, image. Um, And Chicagoans like sort of this notion that, you know, our mayor is going to give as good as he or she gets. Uh, you know, I think the question, though, is exactly what Lee said it was. You know, will Chicago maintain the progress that it has has seen thus far in this pandemic? I think if that turns around in a significant way, um, I think then we will be once again in uncharted political territory. Well, it was
1: Kaylee McEnany, the uh, White House press secretary, I think it was last night or yesterday, called uh, Mayor Lightfoot the derelict mayor of Chicago. Uh, and the yeah. mayor responded on Twitter, which is crazy that the press secretary would say that. But then the mayor's response is, watch your mouth, Karen, which is right. you know, you know, really talking about uh, you know the stereotype for middle class, uh, middle aged, uh, white privileged women. I don't know what to say to that. I would clutch my pearls if I didn't realize <laughs> where we were right now in the sense that this is, I guess, the new normal when it comes to politics.
0: I think you're right. I think it's really an unprecedented sort of willingness to sort of um, engage in those social media fights that we have never seen from a mayor before. And, of course, Rob was only in office for, you know, a few months under President Trump, um, and his Twitter feed was very, very different than Mayor Lightfoot's. It was all ceremonial events and happy birthday and, you know, nothing controversial. Mayor Lightfoot has chosen to go in a different direction. And I think Right now, her staff sees that and as, as an advantage because let's not forget the image of a black gay woman punching back at the president of the United States is something that they think works for them, and they will continue to do that as long as they, they, they believe it does.
1: And, and, Lee, it seems that the president believes that uh, violence in Chicago – is a, is a good uh, line for him come election season because he continues to use it, even in the strangest ways. I think how they, that, they got to that clip with the press secretary. someone asked about, are you comfortable with the COVID response? Uh, and, and, and she was like, well, we have other things to deal with, like the derelict mayor of Chicago and gun violence. It was like, what? And so there's this, this way that they, they seem to continue to come back to it, maybe because it's grabbing headlines.
2: It does. And, you know, and this is me speaking as Lee Bay, the citizen, not not uh, editorial board member of the Sun-Times, is that there is that there's, there's also a veiled piece of racism in this, mm. to, to, put, to put it frankly, that that Chicago has become a national shorthand for black people acting up in ways that are un, untoward. I mean, it's become a, a shorthand for, for crime and, and these kind of things. It's, it, it's, what, it's what Willie Horton meant for the. Bush won. I mean, that's really what it has be, become. And it's distasteful. And so her pushing back, the mayor punching back against this, it's a recognition that I see what this is. I see what you're doing. There's a there's a racial aspect of this. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll say this one 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 more thing. I mean, Trump has been making a lot of uh, hay out of the violence that's happened over the past month and, uh, or two, two months of disturbances and saying, well, under Joe Biden's America, this is what you'll get. But the clips are from Trump's America. I mean, you know, it isn't like these are, these are clips right. of the future. Uh, you know, these are, this is what's happening now.
1: Well, we could have a whole, we can unpack entirely the idea of, of how the election strategy. I think we will in the next month. Just the, the idea of saying that he continuing to call Joe Biden the hard left and the far left and things like that, which I think a lot of Democrats know that's just not the case. The health department added Oklahoma and, more importantly, Iowa to the city's quarantine travel order. Iowa shares a border. Uh, there's talk about Wisconsin, Indiana there's really if you uh, you kind of parse the positivity rates uh, you could add Indiana and Wisconsin to the quarantine ban that that Chicago has if you come to and from Chicago from those places, you got to quarantine for two weeks. That's huge, right? That's huge to think about Indiana, which shares a border and essentially is part of Chicago, and Wisconsin as well. they're commuters.
0: Absolutely, and I think it shows you just how precarious whatever progress Illinois and Chicago has made is. Um, and let's not, you know, forget to mention that nobody has cited, as far as I know, as of earlier this week, um, for violating that quarantine. So it's a purely voluntary educational campaign. And if you're somebody who's not wearing a mask and is, you know, not sort of maintaining those social distancing, maybe you're going out to bars or maybe you're holding house parties. You know, I don't know that that's going to make a whole lot of difference, um, and that's something that has to give, you know, sort of health officials and city officials a little bit of a, of a hard time uh, sleeping.
1: Yeah, right. Lee, I mean, the idea of Northwest Indiana being on a quarantine, if you were going to go from, I don't know, Hammond to Chicago, <laughs> and it's, we're talking about 10 minutes, 15 minutes.
2: Yeah, you are. I mean, you, you know, I live in Pullman, so I'm actually closer to uh, some parts <laughs> right. of Indiana than I am to downtown, and, uh, you know... In, Everyone who makes the commute to buy food or do whatever it is, but well, you know but but, but but this is what happens when we don't have a national strategy for dealing with this. You know, states are kind of playing it as they go along, cities are kind of playing it as they, as they go along, and um and, and, it, and it's tough, it's tough and, and and this is just an example of it.
1: Okay, let's move on to some other stories, like these.
0: Bosses at Commonwealth Edison have admitted to steering jobs, contracts, and payments to public official A, who's identified as Illinois House Speaker
2: Michael Madigan. Former Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson consumed several large servings of rum before officers discovered him asleep behind the wheel of his car, then allowed him to drive home last year. The leader of the Chicago Police Department is responding to yet another violent weekend in the city. Police alone is not and cannot be the only solution for the gun violence faced by so many throughout Chicago.
1: Let's talk about Springfield. It's amazing we haven't even gotten to the story. Uh, Bribery charges against ComEd, they're going to pay a fine, $200 million. But this is really about how it implicates Michael Madigan. Heather, this is a story that there has been a federal investigation going on for the last couple months. We know about it. It's kind of been pushed to the side because of the pandemic. But it's a big story today that Michael Madigan is essentially named
0: story. Um, You know, it's impossible to overstate the power that Michael Madigan wields in Springfield and has wielded for decades. He is the longest serving speaker of any house in the United States and you know his power has really until this point been unchallenged Uh, just about 15 minutes ago Governor Pritzker addressing news media said that if the charges are true Michael Madigan is going to have to resign which is uh, an amazing thing for an Illinois governor to say because the joke has always been is that Democratic governors and even some Republican governors serve at the pleasure of Michael Madigan (laughs) not the other way around if Michael Madigan is charged. He has not been charged. He's hey, He is denied all wrongdoing. But if that changes and he has forced this stuff down, it, it would be an understatement to say that that would be an earthquake in Illinois
1: politics. It's huge, and and it really is at the center of essentially privatizing patronage. At the end of the day, and this is what the story is, I, is— we think about how patronage has played and reared its head here in Chicago and the state of Illinois for decades, I mean, if not centuries. The idea that if you're a uh, elected official, you can hire family member, friends, politically connected people and put them on the payroll. That got done away with. But we found that it hasn't been done away with, <laughs> that they're finding ways to, to do that, to put it on uh, private payrolls, comment other places. But that that seems to be privatizing patronage.
2: You know, it, it is. And the rub is obviously that uh, these are, you know, utility like ComEd needs favors. It, it needs, uh, you know, it's regulated by the by the government. And so there's a relationship there. So it's different than perhaps me doing a wink and a nod as elected official and my brother-in-law gets hired at Company X that has nothing to do with the state. I mean, this is a this is a body that, you know, as a lawmaker, I'm in charge of regulating. It's a big thing.
1: It's big. Heather. When we talk about it, it really just comes down to lobbying reform once again. And, and it, for those who are who who may not think it affects you at home, the idea that this is and I kind of mentioned this to Tony and, and, you know, he's like, well, I, I don't know what to say about it. But this, I'll say it again, this idea <laughs> that this is just the tip of the iceberg in the way that I would assume that if Comet is doing other companies are doing it. And this is just kind of the way that lobbying efforts happen in, 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 a, in, a, in a capital, in a state capital uh, in Illinois.
0: I, I don't. I don't think you're off base there. You know, nobody. I think in their right minds would point to the Illinois State House as a bastion of good government and transparent policymaking. But it's important to note that ComEd really enjoyed um, an unprecedented ability to sort of, you know, get the policy changes it needed through the General Assembly, and that included rate right, included rate hikes just a couple of years they ago. They Everybody has to pay, because let's not forget, if you live in Chicago, if you live in northern Illinois, you pay ComEd one way or the other to turn the lights on. So I think that is why this is such a huge development. And, you know, I think you're right to say we don't know where it's going to lead. Uh, The U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois is addressing the news media now, and I see from my colleague Amanda Vinicky that he has asked— other people to come forward if they have knowledge of wrongdoings because the investigations are ongoing. So That's a uh, great, the most great frustrating point. thing about covering a federal investigation, and I've said this a couple times, is that you don't know what you don't know, right? right. I don't know what John Lausch right. is looking at. I sure wish I did. He's welcome to give me a call if he'd <laughs> like to. But um, they could be looking at any number of different things, and it's hard to tell where it's going to end.
1: All right, let's talk about another closer to home report that came out this week. The city's inspector general shed new light on the firing of former Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson. This story played out in the news earlier in the, in the year uh, where he was fired by Mayor Lightfoot for uh, driving drunk and uh, being intoxicated at the wheel, falling asleep at the wheel. This adds a little bit more to the idea. And in, in the piece, it, it talks about being asleep at the wheel for two hours. Lee, it's one thing to say, okay, you got drunk and and you went home and and you drove, which you you know that's a, that's a crime, but it, it, he got a, a police escort home, and and the police did a, a pretty major job of trying to cover this up.
2: Well, well, that's you know that's really the thing, and I, and I think uh, when it was announced that he was fired, there was a little surprise, right, because he had already said he was going to re- he was going to uh, retire uh, at the end of the month, you know, in uh, in December. And then uh, the mayor made him walk the plank before the month ended. And I think a lot of people were like, well, what is that all about? And now we're beginning to see exactly what it is and why perhaps she lost faith. I mean, it's, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, it's one thing for him to be allegedly intoxicated behind the wheel. But it's another thing if there's a mechanism that then swoops in the place that covers it up for him. I mean, right. the other thing was that he had said publicly he was going to have the internal affairs uh, division looked at this incident, and it turns out that he didn't. The uh, IG report, uh, the summary is now saying so. You know, a lot there. A right. lot there.
1: Heather, you know, is that that's really what's at the core. I mean, we want to make this a story about the former superintendent, but it's much more than that. It's about how the police covered it up.
0: I think you're absolutely right and we know that the investigation is ongoing um there was uh another member of the police department that was with eddie johnson um when he consumed several servings of rum which has no doubt entered chicago political lore at this point and that officer is also under investigation by the inspector general as are the members of the chicago police department that responded to the 911 call um, that discovered eddie Johnson asleep in, in his car. I think the issue is, will the inspector general recommend charges against them for participating um, in a cover-up? I mean, we simply don't know the answer to that. The other thing is, is that after police roused Eddie Johnson, it was 13 minutes until he was allowed to drive away. Now. I am thankful I have never been pulled over for drunk driving, but I doubt that I would have been allowed to drive away without taking a field (laughs) sobriety test or breathing into a breathalyzer, and I definitely wouldn't have only had to roll down my window a couple inches uh, to flash my driver's license. Of course, Eddie Johnson had had a superintendent's badge to flash, and when he drove away, he he blew through a stop sign, and he made an unsafe turn, which ended at maybe an, he ended up going the wrong way on the street for a little while before ah. he corrected himself. So you know, somebody could have been hurt, somebody could have been killed, and it, it's really just you know you know, a blessing that that didn't happen. But I think the police department is going to have to answer those questions.
1: Yeah, and it just we wouldn't be allowed to do that as citizens. That if, no. if you were stopped for allegedly driving while drunk and then took off and went down the wrong way and blew a stop sign, they'd be pulling you over in 10 seconds. Um, right. Superintendent Brown announced major shakeups at the department's top ranks including naming a new second-in-command, a new chief of patrol. Is this good? Is this like a a sign of what we can expect for Superintendent Brown, or are they shuffling the chairs as they usually do when there's some heat on the police?
0: Well, these are all, you know, decades-long veterans of the police department. So with the exception of David Brown, who just came from Dallas, you know, this isn't a new blood infusion into the police department. Um, so I think it, it remains to be seen whether we will see significant changes in how the police department operates. And let's not forget these changes are coming at a time when murders and shootings and violence is, is really, are really surging they have a lot on their plate in addition to addressing these systemic problems uh, you know, in just terms of keeping people safe.
1: Yeah. I want to move on to a story that's near and dear to your heart in the Chicago Cubs, <laughs> Heather <laughs> Sharon, the Cubs got the green light to play home games on the weekend because of the pandemic. This breaks the decade long ban. I don't know how to feel about it. I get it that they need to do this for the pandemic, but it also is like kind of the last nail in that proverbial coffin when it comes to, well, the agreement that was made back in nineteen eighty eight to give lights at Wrigley field there have been a lot of restrictions on when they could do it because essentially they play ball in a neighborhood. Uh, That's right. so what do you think about this uh, i mean it's there's there's a lot of restrictions that go into this, but this is a, this is kind of a big deal for Chicago.
0: Um, but and if you listen to Alderman Tom Tuney at yesterday's city council meeting or city council committee meeting, he said this is a one-time exception. This is just because of the pandemic. Don't expect this to happen when baseball comes back for the 2021 season. But I, I think you're right, it runs the risk of sort of setting a precedent. I also think that the city will be watching very closely to see whether there's a a surge of cases in people sort of going to the bars in Wrigleyville. The rooftops will be open at a limited capacity, and uh, good luck trying to get a ticket for any of those seats at a reasonable price. They're going for hundreds of dollars. But, you know, it's just one of those nails in the coffin of old Chicago, right, Justin? Right,
1: right. When you think about this push, there's really a push to get sports re-up re, re and, and, and almost back to some sort of normalcy. What do you think of that, whether it's baseball, basketball, hockey coming back, football on the horizon? What do you make of the fact that there's just this push to get sports back online?
2: For the economic side of it, I can understand sports teams wanting this. Um, you know, Civically, you know, sports has always been a great distraction. Although I will say as a Sox fan, I guess we've been practicing social distancing since 1991 at, at our stadium. but we can't fill the thing up. But the idea of being packed in Soldier Field, there's still some miles to go before I think people are comfortable being in these situations, waiting in line, right. you know, being at the hot dog stand, at the concession stand. I think, I think we're a ways from being comfortable with that yep. now.
1: Lee, my, I want to give you the last word just as we talk about the 25th anniversary of the 95 heat wave. I mentioned I was in your class at that time at Columbia College. You know, when you think about it and, and we're, we're 25 years later and there's all this talk about the pandemic and how it's affecting uh, disproportionately uh, groups of color, uh, mostly on the south and west sides of Chicago. What, what do you remember and what do you what do you take away from it being 25 years since that heat wave?
2: You know, I remember being just astounded at the bodies that were coming up and the sheer numbers of it and, um, and how the city, you know, at this, you know, just sort of as an entity, you know, failed these neighborhoods and these, and these people. And and the takeaway is, in re- in relation to COVID, is that the COVID map, the heat wave fatality map, the food desert map, the crime map, the lack yeah. of hospital map, they're all the same map. All the map. same, yep. And they're all the result of these decades of disinvestment and failure to purposeful disinvestment in these neighborhoods.
1: Yeah. Lee is editorial writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, Heather Sharon, political writer for WTTW, wrapped up this week's news. You guys are great. Thanks so much for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. And that's a wrap for today's Reset. Tomorrow, check your feed because we'll drop the fifth and final part of our week-long series looking back on the deadly 1995 heat wave in Chicago. 25 years later, we ask, how did it happen? Who was at fault? And what have we learned from this episode in the city's history that killed more than 700 people? I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening. Stay cool, and we'll talk to you again next week.